Everyone knows of Columbus's discovery of the New World in 1492. However, Columbus had a captain whose advice he relied on heavily for his voyage, Martin Alonso Pinzon. Pinzon was captain of the Pinta, one of the trio of ships that sailed under Columbus on his odyssey to the New World. There was a reason Columbus relied on Pinzon's advice. Martin Alonso Pinzon, according to a French legend, discovered the New World in 1488, four years earlier, under a French-Norman navigator, Jean Cousin. In evaluating claims like this, you'd like to see three kinds of evidence. Documents, archaeology, and genomics. The claim for Cousin doesn't really have any of these going for it. There is a second-hand documentary claim in that French kings justified their voyages to Brazil and Florida in the mid-16th century with reference to Cousin in 1488. The logic being, Spain and Portugal couldn't claim exclusive rights to the Americas. A Frenchman had been there before Columbus. France would now join the race for riches and power, attempting to set itself up in the New World, still known to the people of this time as the Indies. The Age of Discovery is a tricky time for historians. Close enough to our time where we can find archaeological evidence and documentation, However, even closer to a time where documents and histories were not recorded properly, to where what is fact and fiction ends up in a bit of an uncertain gray area. It can be difficult to discern the truth from rumors. Portugal was not as interested in the western routes as their Spanish counterparts. They sought to establish themselves around the African coast and dominate the trade of the eastern route to India, and in 1498, Vasco da Gama, a Portuguese sailor, made history by reaching India, marking the first time a European had reached India via the sea. King Manuel I of Portugal assembled an armada in 1500, the second Portuguese India armada, as it was known. The goal of this massive fleet, fielding approximately 13 ships with 1,500 men, was to establish a diplomatic mission in India and establish a factory there as well. A factory, for reference, is more like a trade post and warehouse. It wouldn't be the mechanized place we think of today, but more like a provincial spot for all things related to trade. Portuguese nobleman and navigator Pedro Álvarez Cabral was chosen to lead this voyage. Cabral had heard rumors that a strong western wind resided west of the African coast. The Armada sought to use this wind to propel the Europeans on a faster route to India via the African route, not Columbus's New World. On the 9th of April, Cabral's fleet crossed the equator and sailed as far westward as possible from the African continent in what was known as the Volta do Mar, literally the turn of the sea, navigational technique. The winds of the Atlantic between South America and Africa turns in a counterclockwise circular motion. Vasco da Gama on his expedition a few years earlier sailed into the winds, causing him to lose some time. Cabral's plan was to use the wind to propel himself to India. Far out at sea, the armada spotted seaweed on the 21st of April, which led the sailors to believe they were nearing some coast. They were proven correct the next afternoon, Wednesday, the 22nd of April, 1500, when a mountain was spotted. Cabral christened the mountain Monte Pascal, establishing Porto Seguro, safe port. The men assumed it was some gigantic island in the middle of the Atlantic. A few months before Cabral had landed, Vincente Yanez Pinzon, the younger brother of Martin Alonso Pinzon, who had also sailed with Columbus, 
as captain of the Nina, came to the northeastern coast of Brazil. He was forbidden from laying claim to this gigantic island due to the conditions of the Treaty of Tordesillas. He deployed many armed men ashore with no means of communicating with the indigenous people. One of his ships and captains was captured by indigenous people and eight of his men were killed. Cabral no doubt learned from this to treat communication with the utmost priority. Cabral soon after landing met with the indigenous peoples of what we now know to be Brazil. The first meeting was friendly and Cabral presented the locals with gifts. As Cabral realized that no one in his convoy spoke the language of the indigenous people, he took every effort to avoid violence and conflict and used music and humor as forms of communication. The inhabitants were Stone Age hunter-gatherers to whom the Europeans had assigned the collective label, Indians. The men collected food by stalking game, fishing and foraging, while the women engaged in small-scale farming. They were divided into countless rival tribes. The tribe which Cabral met was the uh-oh, Tupinquim. Some of these groups were nomadic and others were sedentary, having a knowledge of fire but not metalworking. A few tribes engaged in cannibalism, which freaked the Portuguese out. On the 26th of April, as more and more curious and friendly natives appeared, Cabral ordered his men to build an altar inland, where a Christian mass was held, the first celebrated on the soil of what would later become Brazil. He, along with the ship's crews, participated. Many of Cabral's expedition wrote that the natives appeared savage and cannibalistic, that they seemed better suited for slavery than to be converted to Christianity and a European lifestyle. The following days were spent stockpiling water, food and wood, and other provisions. The Portuguese also built a massive, perhaps 7 meter, long wooden cross. Cabral ascertained that the new land lay east of the demarcation line between Portugal and Spain that had been specified in the Treaty of Tordesillas. The territory was thus within the spear allotted to Portugal. To solemnize Portugal's claim to the land, the wooden cross was erected and a second religious service held on the 1st of May in honor of the cross. Cabral named the newly discovered land Ila de Veracruz, Island of the True Cross. The next day, one of the supply ships returned to Portugal to apprise the king of the discovery. Cabral left two degradados, criminal exiles in Brazil to learn the native languages and to serve as interpreters in the future. While Britain would later become famous for its overseas penal colonies, Portugal would become famous for its use of degredados. Most degredados were common criminals sentenced to be exiled from Portugal for crimes against the crown. They could also be political or religious prisoners. Degredados were instrumental in Portuguese colonization, especially in Africa and Brazil. Most degredados would be dropped off at a colony or, especially in the early years, abandoned on an unfamiliar shore where they would remain for the duration of their sentence. Many were given specific instructions on behalf of the crown, and if they fulfilled them well, they might be treated with a commutation or pardon. Common instructions included helping establish staging posts and warehouses, serving as laborers in a new colony, or garrisoning fledgling forts. Degradados abandoned on unfamiliar shores, known as lanchados, literally meaning the launched ones, were often instructed to conduct exploratory work inland, searching for rumored cities, making contact with unknown peoples. Some degradados achieved a measure of fame as inland explorers, making their name almost as famous to posterity as that of the great discoverer captains themselves, 
such as Cabral or Christopher Columbus. While many degradados performed well enough to have their sentences reduced or pardoned as a reward, probably as many just ignored the terms of their exile, some jumped ship along the way, usually at a relatively safe port, rather than allowing themselves to be dropped off at some distant and dangerous shore. Others sneaked onto ships returning to Portugal or some other European country at their first chance. Some went off and formed outlaw degradado communities, away from the supervisory eye of crown officials. Others went native, building a new life of their own among the local inhabitants, obliterating their past altogether. Upon reaching an unfamiliar shore, a degradado or two were usually landed first to test if the native inhabitants were hostile. After opening contact was made, degradados were often assigned to spend the night in the native town or village, while the rest of the crew slept aboard ships. If relations turned hostile, it was degradados who were charged with the dangerous job of carrying, negotiating terms between ships and the local rulers. In the early stages of the colonization of Brazil, the Portuguese frequently relied on the help of Europeans who lived together with the indigenous peoples and who knew their languages and culture. The most famous of these, Joa Ramalho, who lived among the Guanias tribe near today's Sao Paulo, and Diogo Alvarez Correa, who acquired the name Caramuru, who lived among the Tupinamba natives near today's Salvador. Cabral and his large armada would continue its long voyage around Africa to India, specifically Calicut, the spice entrepots on the Malabar coast. Cabral would go down as the first human in history to touch the four continents of Europe, South America, Africa, and Asia. The expedition's goals were to establish a treaty with Calicut, open a factory there, and make communications with the Christians residing there. The Portuguese reached Calicut and opened a factory. However, some Arab merchants, incensed at the Portuguese, with the Reconquista fresh in their minds, began making trouble, seizing a Portuguese trading vessel. Cabral complained to the leader of Calicut and asked him to mediate. However, he sided with the Arab merchants, rather logically, as, as a few ships of foreigners is vastly inferior to the trading power of their Arab neighbors. Cabral, realizing the leader of Calicut would do nothing, proceeded by seizing an Arab trading vessel loaded with spices. Infuriated, the Arab merchants immediately raised a riot and directed the mobs to attack the Portuguese factory. The Portuguese ships were anchored out in the harbor and unable to approach the docks. They could only watch the unfolding massacre. After three hours of fighting, 70 Portuguese were slaughtered by the mobs, and the factory was burned. Around 20 Portuguese in the city managed to escape the riot by jumping into the harbor waters and swimming to the ships. The survivors reported to Cabral that the leaders of Calicut's own guard were seen either standing aside or actively helping the rioters. At least one Portuguese, a man called Gonchala Piecto, was sheltered from the mob by a local merchant, whom the chronicles call Coja Becuri, and survived the massacre. After the Calicut massacre, the wares in the Portuguese factory were impounded by the Calicut authorities. Cabral waited one day for redress from the leader of Calicut. When this did not arrive, Cabral and the Portuguese seized around 10 Arab merchant ships. They confiscated the cargoes, killed the crew, and burned the ships. Then, accusing Calicut of sanctioning the riot, Cabral ordered a full-day shore bombardment of Calicut, doing immense damage to the unfortified city. Estimates of the Calicut casualties reach up to 600. 
Cabral proceeded to also bomb the nearby Calicut-owned port of Pandarene. This marked the beginning of the war between the Kingdom of Portugal and Calicut. The war dragged on for the next decade and became an important focus of the future armadas. It ultimately dictated Portuguese strategy in the Indian Ocean and overturned the political order on the Malabar coast of India. Cabral limped back home with only five of his original 13 ships and a heavy loss in human life. Allegations of incompetence flew in the courtly circles. Although the reaction of the Portuguese court opinion in 1501 upon Cabral's return was generally low, it ascended retrospectively. Cabral's discovery of Brazil, initially received as a minor discovery of little interest, turned out to be much more momentous. The follow-up Brazilian mapping expeditions, under the captaincy of Gonçalo Coelho, carrying one Amerigo Vespucci, revealed a massive continent which Vespucci famously labeled a new world. The plentitude of Brazil wood, discovered by the mapping expeditions on its shores, lured the interest of European cloth industry. The lucrative Brazil wood trade eventually drew competition from the French and Spanish interlopers, forcing the Portuguese government to take a more active interest in Cabral's land of Veracruz. This finally led to the establishment of the first Portuguese colonies in colonial Brazil in 1532. 